Hello, everybody. I know that everything that's going on in the world right now, man, it feels a bit crazy. Every one of us has been affected by what's happening right now. There's incredible change. And we're all wondering, you know, what's next? How do we get through this? What are, what's some of the best advice out there from a practical perspective, how to lead, how to think about these things? And so I asked uh, some friends of mine, people that have been on the podcast and in our community, just to come on and record some bonus episodes on exactly just their best thinking on how they're approaching this. And some of these conversations are absolute, they're just so equipping and inspiring and fantastic. And we just wanted to share these with you uh, as just some extra from us. And please, if there's anything at all we can do for you, don't hesitate to reach out, John at eternalleadership.com or steve.writer, R-E-I-T-E-R, at rightturn.media. So please get in touch with us. We would love to hear from you. And God bless you in everything that's happening right now. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Today we have on Zach Thomas. Zach, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, John. It's an honor to be here. Guys, this is going to be just such a fascinating episode for you uh, as we really talk, I think, about, you know, leading, you know, different generations, millennials, centennials. Is that the new word for Gen Z, Zach? Well, it's an alternate word. Yes, An sir. alternate think, word. Yeah, there you go. But you know what, though? In the very wise words of Nicolas Cage, you know, that amazing guru, he said, if you label me, you negate me. And sometimes I feel that's uh, true. You know, we have all these different labels, but there are different elements to all the different generations. But what we're going to be talking about today, everybody, is really leadership from a perspective that I think is really effective and powerful. So here's a little background on Zach and why we have Zach here today. You've been an entrepreneur, uh, actually still are, author, Coach, you were the Eagle Scout of the nation in 1995. And my nephew, I was an Eagle Scouts and never even came close. I'm not Eagle Scouts, Boy Scouts, never came close. I just watched my nephew go through the entire process. So proud of him and what it took to just be an Eagle Scout. And you're at that next level up. And then you went to uh, West Point, which uh, for people outside the country, that is the United States Military Academy. That is for our U.S. Army, for officers who are going to go and get commissioned. And then you went to ranger school and graduated. I have three of my friends that went to ranger school and only one of them graduated, Zach. So I know that's a big deal. So <laughs> you're coming from this incredible background, you get out and then you get into Chick-fil-A and open up multiple franchises. And uh, there's some incredible lessons learned. And everybody looks at from the outside in on Chick-fil-A and why it's such a great company. We're gonna, we're gonna learn some of that today. And you've been on Newsweek, Good Morning America. You married your high school sweetheart, Christy. You homeschooled seven kids. God bless <laughs> you. You know what? We homeschooled our kids. So uh, oh, wow. have you ever seen Tim Hawkins, the homeschool family video? Oh, absolutely. Love it. Love yeah, it. we went and saw him in person. Anybody out there has not seen Tim Hawkins, if you want some great comedy for your family, just go to YouTube or just Google Tim Hawkins. Watch any of his comedy routines. He's a clean Christian comedian who's absolutely hilarious but anyway so today you're the owner operator of chick-fil-a franchise you're in georgia 
And here's what I'd like to do. I, I mean, there's so much to unpack here, but I think having people kind of understand what was foundational to who you are, kind of how you viewed yourself as you went through some of these, I think I'm sure there were some pretty significant highs and lows all the way through these different points of the journeys, right? What kind of created the mindset, the resiliency, the, the principles, the values that you connected to? So if you could bring us back to the beginning, Zach, and take some time and kind of walk us through your journey up through today. Sure. Thanks, John. You know, I just want to point out something uh, prior to this uh, sit and record here. You spent some time with me in prayer and I've been on a lot of podcasts and that's the first time that the host actually offered prayer uh, prior to hit and record. I typically set aside about 30 minutes prior to getting on a podcast to just pray and invite God into the time and, uh, and just give it all over to him. And so for the first time, I would tell you, I really feel like I can speak freely about, you know, I'm always open about my faith, but I can really speak freely about my faith and my faith journey here today. And so I'm excited to be able to do that. So thanks for who you are, John, and, and for being so authentic. I appreciate that. Yeah, thank you, man. We love what we get to do here. You know, we have a platform to to really share what we think is truly important, right? Is how do we bring, you know, the Lord into everything that we do and build the kingdom right here on earth as it is in heaven, right? It's a perspective that I think that's been lost in a lot of uh, the discipling, if it does happen in church teaching. Mm -hmm. um, so we're trying to fill in the gap a little bit. Yeah, that's good stuff. Well, so my journey begins, I grew up here where I am essentially now. I was born in Rome, Georgia, which uh, is about an hour northwest of Atlanta. And then we moved from Rome to Cedartown when I was seven years old. I took over our family farm that my grandfather established in 1957. And we raised chickens for Gold Kissed at the time. Now it's Pilgrim's Pride. And we raised about 36,000 chickens every six weeks. And I think I'm the only Chick-fil-A franchisee to go from, you know, raising a chicken from the day that it's hatched to putting it in a chicken sandwich and serving it to a customer. <laughs> but I got to tell you, man, chicken farms do not smell good. They don't. I'm, I'm they glad do they don't smell that smell way. Good. Yeah. I'm glad they don't smell that way in the sandwich. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I grew up there on the farm. I was an only child growing up on a farm. Now for those that uh, find out first that I'm an only child, they think, Oh, you were spoiled. And I'm like, well, try growing up on a farm as an only child. That's a lot of fun. <laughs> so yeah, you got I, all uh, the chores. I did. I, I worked really hard. In fact, my grandmother, so my grandfather worked for the railroad and he was in the process of retiring. But my grandmother was really the the driver in terms of teaching me work ethic and working on the farm. And so I learned a lot from her. So growing up there on the farm was a gift from God. And I'm so grateful for it. In fact, you know, it was my lifelong goal to get back to the farm. And that's where we are today. I built my house in 2012 there on the farm and raising my seven kids there. But that's fast forward. I'll, I'll go back to growing up there. I went to Cedartown High School graduated in 95 and was commissioned uh, or went straight to the United States Military Academy and was commissioned as an infantry officer. You know, I, as I look back, um, you know, why did I decide to go to the military academy? I was, it's a funny story. I was at my uh, grandparents' house and 
we were over there visiting and I remember this conversation. I think I was about seven or eight years old. I told my dad I wanted to be in the army and my, actually my dad and my granddad were in the Navy. So, you know, you were in the Navy, John. And so that commonality, but a lot of conversation around Navy versus army around my household. Looking back, I was sitting there and I said, I want to go in the army. And my dad said, well, you know, why do you want to go in the army? And I said, well, I just want to, I want to do the hardest thing possible. I don't know if you remember, there was a show that was on TV called Cure of Duty. And I was big time into that show and Vietnam era, but I just, I really enjoyed watching it. So I was inspired to, to go in the military and uh, at the time just wanted to be an infantry officer and all my life, that's what I wanted to do. And I told my dad, I said, well, he said, if you want to be in the army, you need to be an officer. And I said, well, what's that? He said, they just tell everybody what to do and they make more money. And I said, all right, that sounds good enough to me. So, (laughs) and I said, well, how, how do I become an officer? And he said, well, you have to go to West Point, which, you know, honestly there were other routes, but at the time my dad thought that was the only way to become an officer in the army. And I literally went over to the encyclopedia shelf, pulled the W off the shelf, looked it up and saw West Point. So that that's where I want to go. Made up my mind then and there. That's what I wanted to do. Set my heart to that. So four years at West Point, was commissioned as a second lieutenant in the infantry, decided, like I said, I want to do the hardest thing possible. So went through ranger training, airborne training, all that. And looking Wait, back, you, I had a question for you because uh, how long is ranger school? 62 days. So it's 62 days. It it is, <laughs> yeah, it is intense. What did you, you know, you're, you're coming, right? Eagle Scout, you go through uh, West Point, right? And I think, you know, this path that you want to go on is really being tempered, right, by going through ranger school. What did you learn about yourself, Zach, as you went through the rigors and the intensity of ranger school? Well, I look back and I had the fortunate opportunity to be an instructor at the ranger school. That was my last job in the army before I got out. And I was able to see ranger school from a different perspective. And that was basically, I was able to to go home every night, get, you know, get some sleep and three meals a day. Whereas in ranger school, you're not getting near that amount of sleep or that amount of food. And so you're kind of taken to your limit, your physical, emotional, mental limit. And that's really what, you know, we as instructors, we're trying to do is just trying to take the students to their limit and see what really comes out, their character, what really comes out when they are in a place of extreme struggle, both emotionally, mentally, um, and physically, lack of sleep and lack of food. And you went and through as a student, right? I did, yes. So when I you went, went through, when you were in that place, because I'm always curious about this, right? Because I think this helps people in business and, right? Because the pressures, I don't think, are as intense, but they sometimes feel like it. But when you were in that place, like, you know what? I don't know if I can ruck up one more time. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I can go do this 20 mile hike up this hill and then take an objective, whatever it happens to be, what had you move forward? Do you think, you know, internally when you were watching some of your friends, uh, people you grow close to say, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go ring the ring the bell, so to speak. Yeah, I think it is a principle that applies really to today is sometimes things get really tough in life and, what it really comes down to is can you put the next foot in front of the other? And 
that's literally what I did for, for 62 days. It's like, all right, I don't know if I can make it to the end, but I can put my right foot in front of my left and then I can put my left in front of my right and I can just keep moving forward. And before you know it, you know, I'm able to look back and see that I actually accomplished some pretty amazing feats uh, in life just by, you know, looking at the very next step, you know, Proverbs 69 says, uh, in his heart, man plans his ways, but the Lord determines his steps. And so as I think about that verse and, and how that applies, you know, for me, I had my plan, what I wanted to do in life. And I wanted to be a general in the army and we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, that's a whole nother story, but you know, God's actually determining my steps but I think it requires, you know, for me turning to him for strength and just taking that next step. He's ultimately directing my steps as I move forward and where I end up is where ultimately he, he has directed me. See, and I I think what you said, there's such a, an important truth in what you just said, because a lot of times, you know, I would pray as I was in business, right? you know, for God to reveal what the plan is, who I need to do it with, who I need to partner with, who I need to hire. You know, I wanted all this clarity to be able to move forward. Mm. And that's kind of praying from a place of, you know, God, show me your will for my life, right? Mm -hmm. And I had it backwards Mm. because God has a much bigger plan than that. Mm -hmm. What he's asking us to do is for us to seek out his will Mm-hmm. And then he wants us to be moldable, right? To be a servant to him as we uh, step into that role that he has for us. So instead of praying for all this clarity, after my accident, as I was building this company, I just started praying like you were, right? Like, ruck up one more time, right? Oh my gosh. Like, Lord, just show me today. I don't know if I have the strength, but just show me that next step. Mm-hmm. that keeps me in your will. And that might sound like a subtle difference, but I got to tell you, for me, Zach, that made all the difference in, uh, I think, what we did, how we did it, finding joy in both the peaks and the valleys valleys as we kind of walk through it in every situation. But uh, I can imagine uh, what was you know going on in your prayer life when you just had to focus on like that next step ahead and you didn't even know, you knew the destination that was to graduate, but you had no idea what this journey entailed between where you were in a place of extremis uh, and there. And so what was kind of going on internally? You know, there, there's a lot of unknown and, you know, kind of looking back, you know, not really knowing whether it was God's will that I graduated or not, or, you know, I just, I just wanted to walk, you know, every step of the way with him. And, you know, I would say that, uh, you know, back then I wasn't as close as I am to God now in, in my relationship. And I didn't fully understand, uh, some of his ways as I, as I do now. Um, but, you know, now I would say that as I think about, how that has evolved, you know, I want to, and and to add to what you're saying, like my personal mission statement is to influence others by aligning with what God is already doing in my life and the lives of others. And so, you know, it's, 
I would think that when I was in ranger school, I was very much focused on kind of the, the other side of that. It was, is my will, even though I would say, you know, your will be done. It was kind of like, show me your will, but it was kind of my agenda and what I wanted to accomplish. And that, that kind of leads to going from there. I thought I was going to spend the rest of my life in the army. Uh, my adult life I was going to retire from the military. I, in my heart, you know, like I said, in my heart, I plan my way. So my heart, I, I wanted to be a general in the army. That was my plan. And September 11th happened. I was at Fort Campbell, Kentucky, 101st Airborne Division. I'll never forget. I was sitting there eating a bowl of Cheerios and I saw the second World Trade Center get hit and I knew things were about to change and phone rang and I had to go in and I was actually in first brigade and we were on DRF one at the time, division ready force one, the first ones to go if, if something happened, but we were like two days from rolling off of DRF one and going on DRF three, which was a leave cycle. And, and so the, the question was, who's going to go, is it going to be us or the ones that are ramping up to go on DRF one? And it ended up being third brigade, the rock they went, and then it was undetermined as to whether or when we were going to go. And in the meantime, my orders came down for the captain's career course. I got a permanent change of station down to Fort Benning, Georgia. And I got down there and I was very frustrated because I was, you know, I felt like I was, I'd missed the boat. You know, if I was going to be a general in the army, I needed to be a, a combat proven, you know, infantry officer. And I really struggled from a heart standpoint because you know in my heart I had planned my ways that I was going to be this um, really successful infantry officer and it wasn't really working out that way uh, because I was was stuck at in Tradoc at the at the schoolhouse which you know, I called up my battalion commander and I asked him I said sir can I come back and and he said no it doesn't really work that way you know your your captain you got to go to the captain's career course. You can't put your career on hold. He said, we're going to be doing this for a long time. You'll get an opportunity to, to go. And I kind of settled into that idea. And then during the captain's career course, there were some folks that came in and asked if there were some captains that, that wanted to go to Afghanistan. And essentially it was a room full of 300 plus captains that were all in the same position I was in. And they all, we all raised our hand. They said, well, you know, it'll be based on order of merit. We're going to send three of you guys over to Afghanistan to help train Afghan national troops. And so I was actually in the top of my class. I was number two in the class. So I wanted to go. I got selected. I got orders to go to Afghanistan. I got pulled from the course. As far as I know, we're the only three people to ever graduate from the captain's career course, infantry captain's career course, without actually completion of graduation. They gave us a diploma, put us in the basement of building four, and we started planning uh, with a special ops officer for what we were going to be doing. And then I got assigned to out of the blue. Um, it's a crazy story, but the brigade executive officer or the ranger training brigade went to high school with my mother-in-law. And so he knew me and he said, I want you to come over here to the ranger school. And I said, okay, fine. After I get back from Afghanistan. And he said, no, we need you now. And there was a congressional mandate back in the 90s where the rangers that froze down in the swamps in Florida, that a congressional mandate, H.R. 1530, said that Ranger Train Brigade had to be manned at 90% strength on officers at all times. 
And so that congressional mandate trumped my orders to Afghanistan and I got pulled over to the ranger school. And here I am again, you know, I found myself literally in the fetal position on the couch crying. My wife was like, what am I supposed to do with an airborne ranger that's crying on the couch? And, <laughs> uh, but I, I never went to go see a doctor, but I probably was, was cl- clinically depressed and I didn't know. I, I began to ask questions, you know, God, what are you doing? And, you know, this is my plan. This is what I thought was our plan. This was what I thought was your will for my life. What are you doing? And I had a mentor who was our pastor at the time, Bill Shorey. And Bill said, well, maybe you're being called to ministry. And I said, okay, fine, maybe so. And then I prayed about it and I said, all right, well, fine. If I'm going to be, if I'm going to be in the ministry, I'm going to be a chaplain. And I, I wasn't really willing to give up, you know, this idea of, of becoming a general. And so I said, fine, I'll just be a, a ranger chaplain. I'll be a, and I'll stay in the chaplain corps and I'll become a general in the chaplaincy. And so I resigned my active duty commission and went into the chaplain candidate program, went to New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary one day a week and started working at a church as a college and singles pastor there in Columbus, Georgia. And that's when I started my, my coffee company, Ranger Coffee Company. And, and just by the grace of God, it's crazy. It won't get into all these details, but we ended up in Newsweek magazine on Good Morning America and just the coffee company kind of uh, exploded. And I learned a lot about entrepreneurship, but then I was also, you know, working with a lot of college students as a college and singles pastor. And those two things together, um, it was a lot of fun and I was really enjoying what I was doing. But then, you know, kind of fast forward, started looking at the landscape for the chaplaincy. And uh, I I went on a practicum back on active duty for about 45 days doing some chaplain work. And I just didn't feel right about that in terms of what God was calling me to do. And once again, found myself kind of dazed and confused. Like, God, what what are you doing? Like, I thought you, you called me out of this army infantry officer role to be a chaplain and now it just doesn't it's not fitting it's not working it's not feeling right and economy crashed in late 2007 early 2008 and expensive coffee wasn't uh on the top of people's list in terms of things to buy and so my company wasn't doing very well and i found myself in my basement sitting in front of my computer just um praying and asking god what are you doing and what am i supposed to be doing and what's your plan? And and I think that's when it's really started shifting for me instead of like, what is my plan or what's your will so that I can do it? Uh, it was more like, what do you have in mind for me, God? And whatever that is, I want to align with that. And I want to do that. And so I got to rewind just a was little that a bit. Hard, was that in that moment, Zach, was that a hard shift for you to kind of approach the situation with an open hand? Because I mean, you have probably had a lot of sunk cost in time, money, energy, and both what you're doing as a pastor, Ranger Coffee, right? Things aren't looking good. Yeah. Right? I've been there before in business, right? And yeah, um, I think before I really understood partnering with Father, right? My gut reaction was to like fix it, to work mm-hmm. harder, to, yep. you know, to pray to God to help me fix it you know, to keep just running down this path versus kind of stepping back and saying, you know, God, what's your will here? So I, I think, 
honestly, how you kind of came to that place is important. Yeah, it was, it was a pretty brutal route to that place. Like I said, I spent a lot of time crying, um, a lot of time prayerfully asking why. And um, it was through a lot of uh, pain and a lot of difficulty that I came to the conclusion that God had a, had a different plan for my life. And I'll rewind just a little bit. When I was in the ministry, I'd taken a job. I left the church down in Columbus, Georgia, where I was a college and singles pastor to move back up to North Georgia to closer to our home. My wife had a brother. She has three brothers. Her middle brother had muscular dystrophy, and we knew that he was not going to live a full adult life. And so I promised her that if I ever got out of the military, that we would move back home close to family just so she could be around her brother in his final years. And I, even if that was only temporarily uh, got out for a season, like for the chaplain program that we'd move back home. And so I took a job with a ministry called Life Impact and I became their operations officer. And we did move back home. And I'll never forget my first job or my first task as the operations officer was Life Impact was to meet Andy Christensen, the president and founder at 5200 Buffington Road, which is the address of, of Chick-fil-A headquarters. And David Salyers, who's the chief marketing officer at the time, was our host for the day. And, and David was hosting this group of uh, CEOs. He called it Wisdom Hunters. It was a group of CEOs, business leaders, a roundtable group. And uh, my job that day, I was the PowerPoint clicker and the paper hander outer is what I said. And uh, my whole job that day was just to help Andy facilitate this meeting. And I'll never forget, we got on the elevator. We were going up to Truett's office. And this lady steps on the elevator. And I look at her and I said, is everybody here always this happy? And she said, yeah, pretty much. It's kind of like Disney World. Everybody in the elevator laughs. And then I look at my brand new boss. Again, this was my first actual task of, of my new job. And I look at him and I said, Hey, if this doesn't work out, I'm going to work with Chick-fil-A and everybody in the elevator laughs. And I was just kind of joking. Well then fast forward to, you know, the end of 2007, early 2008, there I am in my basement, my head on my desk, staring at my computer, um, getting ready to take another semester of, of seminary classes. And I was praying and asking God, why, you know, what is, what is all this? And it's not making any sense. And, and then he just very, not an audible voice, but very clearly spoke to my heart and said, and, it, and this is just a playful nature of God. It was so funny. He said, you remember what you said in the elevator? If this didn't work out, you're going to work with Chick-fil-A. And I was like, yeah. And he said, that's what you're going to do. And, mm. um, and so I had no idea how or why or what, but I just, I knew in my heart, you know, and I'd never been in the restaurant business. I'd never, other than, you know, my coffee company wasn't really an entrepreneur, didn't truly have a lot of business experience, but I knew that that's what I was being called to do. So you got into Chick-fil-A, you ended up starting a franchise and just, and, and you wrote a book uh, because what's happened is as you've, developed your franchise and developed a way to really lead, develop, equip, and empower this generation as they're coming in, right? A lot of people 
mm-hmm. coming into Chick-fil-A, right? They're, you know, they're younger. This is a first job. You kind of have a whole mix. And there's a great book that Zach wrote it's called Leader Farming, Growing Leaders to Grow Your Business. I get the distinct impression, Zach, that you kind of focused on running your franchise really from this uh, leadership perspective, right? That it was your calling to develop others. Is, is that fair? Absolutely. Yeah. Leader farming is just another phrase for discipleship. I don't always uh, say that out loud. It depends on my audience, but that's really what it is. It's discipling people. It's growing leaders. I, I say this all the time that we're just a leadership development company that just happens to sell chicken. Mm. And uh, so I took over an existing franchise. My first opportunity is I took over an existing franchise in Marietta, Georgia, and ran that store for nine years to the day. And right in the middle of doing that in, in 2011, I was walking across the street and I was hit by a car It was traveling 35 miles an hour. I was pedestrian and I was thrown up in the air. I came down and, and landed headfirst on the windshield and was projected about 50 feet forward. And similar to your story, John, I should have died. And I remember spending time. I don't remember the accident at all, but I, I do remember time afterwards, you know, sitting on the couch you know, thinking about life and what was really most important. And when you're faced with death, which I've actually been faced with death several times, but that was probably the most prominent experience. You start really asking those tough questions. And, you know, as I think back about that time frame, it was very um, instrumental in forming and shaping who I've become today. And then in writing the book, actually, that's when I started writing Leader Farming. Because what happened in my business when I took over an existing franchise, took over somebody else's stuff, and that place was an absolute mess. And I'd been, as you heard in my story, I'd been an airborne ranger and a ranger instructor, and then I'd been a, a college pastor. And if you imagine this pendulum, which I talk about this, this leadership paradigm in the book, Imagine this pendulum all the way to the far one side, let's say far left is this airborne ranger, hard charging command and control style leader. You know, that's what we're taught in the military. You just put the fear of God in people (laughs) figuratively and then, uh, you know, make them cry for their mother in ranger school. That was a good day. Right. And then I swung the pendulum all the way over to the other side when I became a chaplain candidate and was in the ministry and I just developed this philosophy that if you just love everybody enough, they'll do the right thing. And when I came on board with Chick-fil-A, I was kind of on that far right side because, you know, Chick-fil-A being predominantly a Christian valued company. And I thought, you know, here I am coming out of ministry. I'm going to, I'm going to run my company like a ministry. And when I came on board as an operator of an existing franchise with some kind of really difficult baggage from a previous franchisee that got terminated. And um, I remember getting taken advantage of pretty significantly and, you know, financially, emotionally in every way. And people made the mistake of, you know, they thought I was a pushover because of the fact that I was very ministry minded. And so what I did was I kind of knee jerk reacted. I said, okay, fine. And I swung the pendulum all the way back over to the other side and I, showed them what a ranger instructor was like. 
And I'll never forget, like, I overheard one of my team members say, because they were having this kind of Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde experience with me as a, as a leader, because one day I would come in and I would be, you know, Mr. Nice Guy, Mr. Christian, you know, guy. And then I would get frustrated because I've been taken advantage of and swing the pendulum all the way over the other side and be an airborne ranger instructor. And they didn't know which Zach they were going to get. You, you know, you're bringing up an interesting point because I see it all the time and I've done it too. You have this, uh, you know, you want to be the servant leader, right? Yeah. The, you know, that boss that everybody loves. Yeah. But when you're in command control mode, which you'd kind of been taught and modeled in ranger school or that kind of what you talked about, right? I used to tend to get better results when I was actually a lot more directive and very mm-hmm. and giving feedback versus taking the time to develop people. And a friend of mine, Ford Taylor, calls that the schizophrenic leadership model when we're mm. switching back and forth and back and forth. Yep. And that's really hard for our people, but I, I think it's a very natural tendency for people. So how did you kind of find the balance between, you know, what you were trying to accomplish and how you needed to show up? Yeah. So that's actually one of the things that I talk about in the book is, is really how I found that balance. But, you know, just imagine that pendulum, you know, pendulum eventually can come to rest in the center. And that was what I realized that I needed to do. And so I had kind of framed up my understanding of, of leadership. And that's really one of the ways that I found the center. And so you think about leadership style, like how is it that people lead? Well, one end of the pendulum is the command and control. The other end of it is a totally passive leader that just believes that eventually everybody will do the right thing. And then the center of that would be, you know, having uh, what I call freedom leading, which is where you give people freedom to become the best version of themselves, but yet there are boundaries that hold them accountable. And so then the next layer of that is, is leadership method. Well, then how is it that command and control style leaders actually accomplish what they're trying to accomplish? Well, we talked about that. It's control and discipline. And then how is it that passive leaders accomplish anything? Well, ultimately, the only way that they can accomplish anything is if people just decide to do the right thing. You know, they have freedom with absolutely no accountability. But that was that middle ground. Well, you know, it's freedom with boundaries. And then the next layer is follower motivation. Well, command and control style leader that leads with control and discipline. What is a follower's motivation? It's fear. It's fear of losing their job. It's fear of getting yelled at. It's fear of getting intimidated. It's shame. But then the other end of the spectrum is the only way a follower is motivated to do anything underneath passive leadership is just if they just love the person. It's love without discipline. And so that middle approach is similar to like a parent. As a parent, you know, I love my child, but I'm not going to let him stick his finger in an electrical outlet, right? And so, you know, it's, it's tough love. It's that disciplined love. And then the final layer is the follower behavior. So, you know, you stay with that top command and control, control and discipline, fear as a follower's motivation. What does that lead to? It only leads to temporary behavior modification. But then, you know, the other side of that is passive. What the follower behavior ends up in entitlement and they just believe that they're entitled to certain things. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm still, I'm just, okay. I'm just listening. Yeah. yeah I like what you're, I, yeah. I like where you're going. Yeah. Or I would so, jump in. Yeah. Awesome. So, and, but I believe that middle ground is that engagement and permanent life transformation. And so what I found for me is I had to create this, uh, 
Well, I created a point system and I talk about it in the book where it allowed me to create a standard. So let's say, you know, a person shows up late to work, they get a point, they don't wear their uniform, they get a point. So we have this, this point system where it's very black and white, but I needed that in order to not be so reactive in terms of, of my behavior. And so it's, it was very easy to just say, look, you know, here, here's the deal. If you don't do these things, then you'll, you'll be given, you know, a point for this, but it's not personal. It's just to help teach you that these are, these are the standards here. And at some point it may come to the point where I have to come up to you, put my arm around you and say, Hey, I love you. I care about you, but you can't work here anymore. And here's why I have this phrase that I say all the time. That the point of the point system is not to point you out, but to keep you on point until you see the point. And so I'll rephrase that in that the purpose of the disciplinary point system is not to, to fire you or to terminate you, but to help you see the standard that we have as an organization and help you align with that until you see the big picture. And then at some point you won't actually need that anymore. It's kind of like our, our, well, what you're doing there, it sounds like Zach, which is really important is right. You're instead of having some kind of loose set of expectations, Hey, we're in agreement about your, you know, when you show up, how you show up, you know, what you do while you're here, how you interact with customers, how you act with coworkers. And, uh, now on the positive side of things, what worked for you to kind of create a way for not only you to affirm people for good things, but also for peers, right? Somebody who's working, taking orders, maybe affirming the person in the back who's working really hard and always consistent at getting orders out quickly, right? Because I think it's, so I think the point there is it's really important with a team to have an agreement about what, you know, success or excellence or behaviors look like. Because a lot of times that's so loose, nobody knows what it is. And that creates a lot of frustration. Yeah, it does. Um, you know, I think just having that clear standard for what the expectations are, but then, you know, in terms of reward and, and recognition and encouragement, Truett, Kathy used to say, you know, how do you know if, if somebody needs encouragement? Well, if they're breathing. And so, uh, <laughs> I, you know, and so for me, I'm terrible with that, though. Honestly, I really am. I'm so task oriented. But here's one of the things that I do in my vision and values. I spend three hours with every new team member that comes on board. And within the first week of hiring them, they spend we spend three hours together. And one of the things that I tell them during that three hour vision and value session is that I am a very task oriented person and that we may not run into each other because you work nights and I'm not there that much at night. And so we, we don't see each other very often, but when I do, I walk in and I've got a task list of 50 things to do and I walk right past you and I, I don't even acknowledge the fact that you're, you're standing there because I've got this task list of things to do. I said, so what I want to do is I want to give you permission to call me out and say, Hey Zach, hadn't seen you in a while. Um, and so just really giving people permission to feel like they can ask to be noticed, but also like I have to make encouragement a task on my to-do list. I use wonder list for, for all of my tasks and to-dos. And so my leadership team has a shared wonder list where they will actually put on there, Hey, this person needs encouragement. This person needs this, this person. And so like, I can literally look at my wonder list before I go in the restaurant and say, Oh, this person's here today. 
I can literally check that, you know, check it off my list. And so for those that are very relationship driven, they're like, oh my gosh, you know, why would, <laughs> why does he need a task list <clears throat> to encourage people? But the reality is we are all either typically the way we were born was either one way or the other. We're either very task oriented or we're very relationship driven. You know, I completely agree with that. If you look at all of the different personality surveys, Myers-Briggs, DISC, Hogan, Berkman, right? I really think that you, if you break it down into its essential elements, it's transactional versus relational. And what you're, you know, a great learning point here from people is understanding, I think, kind of how you're wired or actually really how God wired you being more transactional. But, you know, something you said really struck me is there's a lot of employees at a franchise. There's probably, since they're younger, right, a lot of people coming and going. But you take the time out of your day to make it important and spend three hours with somebody. Now, that is developing a relationship because somebody, if you just met with them for five minutes and said, hey, you can call me out, I'm the boss, just say, hey, Zach, that might be not, well, after three hours, it's probably a very different, they're like, you know what, he probably means this, right? He just spent three hours with me and this guy cares about me, right? And regardless of where you are on that spectrum, being affirmed, being encouraged, absolutely a necessity. And if we're not doing that, especially I think with this, you know, the younger generations, they're going to go find someplace else to work. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, how do people get, you know, connected to you, find your book, learn more about what you're doing? Because the, the success you've had leading teams is phenomenal. I, I wish we, I think we need to have you back on and keep digging. And I, I think we need to do a part two at some point here in the near future, Zach. Um, yeah, but how do people find you and connect with you? Sure. would love to do that, John. Thanks. Um, leaderfarming.com is my website. And I actually created a special landing page for your listeners. It's leaderfarming.com slash eternal leadership. And so that will uh, that will get you straight to a landing page where I've got a couple of offers on there. I have a little quiz that uh, will tell them whether they are naturally wired for results or relationships if they don't know already. And then I have a, an offer for free plus shipping of my book. And so a paperback copy, if you just pay the shipping cost, well, I'll send you a free copy. And then uh, I've got a little a group, uh, call it mastermind, call it whatever you, you want. It's totally free. Uh, we do via zoom once a month and it's just an opportunity. In fact, for your listeners that are veterans, there's one that's veteran specific that you can't really get to through this special landing page. But if you, you go to the leader farming page, you'll see it. It's called the Vetrepreneur incubator. But then on your landing page, I've got a link to the leader farm, which is the, um, the non-veteran version. So it's so basically it? Vetrapreneur. Yes, sir. Vetrapreneur what? What was the link? Vetrapreneur incubator. So it's leaderfarming.com slash incubator. That's for the Vetrapreneur incubator. And then the, uh, but your dedicated link is leaderfarming.com slash eternal leadership. And then uh, that will take you to the leader farm, which is the group that I have just for, it's really the same thing. It's just one is specifically targeted veterans because we kind of speak the same language. Yeah. Outstanding. So as we wrap up, Zach, what are just, uh, you know, a final point you'd like to leave with everybody listening? 
Well, I just say that um, for me, my journey has been one of difficulty and learning the hard way. And uh, I would say that the sooner that we learn to turn towards the Father and align with His will for our lives, the easier our lives can be. You know, but I, I know that's all part of the process, and that's my encouragement for folks out there to just continue to move towards the Father in pursuit of His heart and His will for their lives. Wow, that's awesome. Thank you for what you do and how you're doing it. And definitely, I'd like to come back and really dig into, I mean, this such guys, such a great you know, journey and teaching that you have in this book on the mindsets around growth strategy, how to really grow leaders, kind of a process to do that, how to create continuous improvement in a team. And I was just so interested in your story. We're really going to get into some of those topics that are in the book. So let's find a time, Zach, to come back on and dig into those. How's that sound? That'd be great. All right, man. Keep knocking them alive out there, my friend. And uh, you're awesome. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir.